the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. You know, the one thing that Trump did say that he likes, you know, he likes conflict. Uh, You know, if I take that in uh, the way that I hope he means it, um, he likes to have different voices around him. He likes to have people disagree around him team of rivals right yeah yeah and, and i and i like that however that's not really where america is headed do you have do you happen to have that quote that we were kicking around yesterday or can you paraphrase that quote off the top of your head uh i can find it here in a minute find it real quick it, yeah. it's a, it's an amazing thing americans you know we used to say that we're not going to we're never going to be politically correct we're just not going to be politically correct well what is politically correct right now is to agree with your side in lockstep to not listen to any other point of view or talk to anybody to deem the other side an enemy. That's dangerous political correctness. Now, remember, political correctness came from the communist rule that if you if you were speaking out of line with the party, you would go to a camp and they would make you politically correct. And if you didn't conform, you were you know, in a gulag. Listen to this quote. Uh, I have no house, wife, children, parents, or brothers. My friends are friends as long as they think like me politically. Who said that? Che Guevara. Just a uh, good guy. A mass murderer, you know, sure. But he's on a lot of t-shirts. Maybe he's in a t-shirt and... One of your uh, teenage relatives' closet right now. I have no friends unless they think like me politically. Look at what's happening on our college campuses. That is what's happening. That's what's happening on Facebook. That's what's happening. I won't. I won't listen. I won't read it. I won't befriend. I won't. I will not reach out unless they think like me. That's trouble for any society, for any society, let alone an American society, because that's not who we are. And when you're challenged, when you're pushed, that's that's when you learn things. That's when you expand. It's it's not one side. You know, it's you know, it's really amazing is. Um, if you look at the two sides, the the left, I hate to use the word left. Uh, I don't want to use left or right. Um, let's use uh, liberal and conservative. And I mean actual liberal and conservative. Okay. Um, the liberal side that says, hey, let's, you know, let everybody be themselves. Okay. Let everybody just, let's, let's, let's just dream and let's be and let's create and, and, uh, and let's just go out there and explore. Okay, that's all good stuff. Sort of how liberals view themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think a classic liberal does think that way. I well, think, classical liberal really is closer to libertarian, right? Yes, yeah, so, so, so yeah. totally freedom. You know, total freedom. You go right. do whatever you want. So the people who are like that are the poets and the artists and and the dreamers. Okay, that is a mindset. Now, a political side has said you can't be creative. You can't be this person unless you believe these things politically. That goes against everything that a free thinker and an artist 
Now, don't put me in a box. I have no box. Okay. Conservatives are the ones who say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let, let, hang on. There's a lot of really good things. Okay. Let's slow down just a little bit. Let's, let's move forward, but let's not lose what we've, what we've gained. A conservative investor is somebody who says, look, I'll take a risk, but I want to make sure that I'm not losing everything on this risk. I've worked hard for this. Okay. Those two things are necessary. If you only have the dreamers and you don't have those people who are fiscally conservative, nothing happens. Nothing happens. You see what happens in marriages when you have two people who are just dreamers. Uh, you know, Correct. <laughs> you know. Correct. Yeah. And so those work out. What we're doing is we're saying, I don't need the dreamers. I don't need the artists. I don't need the poets. And the other side is saying, I don't need anybody who has any kind of traditional value. I don't need anybody who believes the things that have been believed uh, for 5,000 years. I don't need you. You believe in the traditional family. You believe in, you know, the Constitution. You believe in those things. Uh, we don't need you. You're not part of it. We can't survive that way. We need both sides. We have to, we need each other. And what we're doing right now is we're saying, oh, no, my side will make it work. I don't want to live in a uh, country. <laughs> I don't want to live in a country that it's it's art is all red, white and blue and eagles. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And I don't want to live in a world where it's art is all crucifixes and urine. <laughs> you know, there's no. there's you like having both. Right. I don't want to live in a world where we have we have no money because we've taken it from everybody and now we're all equally miserable. I don't want to live in that. But I also don't want to live in a world that is is so conservative with its money that it, it never spends anything. And so it never grows, never does anything good, never it doesn't have any compassion because it's worried about its money. That's the stereotypical definition of conservative and liberal, and we need each other to balance each other out. And I think that's how you grow, too. It is. You talk to someone who has a, it's not always like, you know, you're, hey, I want to go talk to Michael Moore because he's going to convince me about how great, you know, communism is. Like, obviously, that's a different story. But how can you, I, I can think of examples in my life, in my life, where I have changed because I considered the other side seriously. I'll give you one. Second Amendment. Uh, of course, I grew up in Connecticut. There was like, I think there's one gun in the state basically and now recently only over the past few years has gun violence ever really been associated with connecticut it's not a it's not, it's not a it's not one of those rural states it's you know it's right outside of new york city it's between new york city and boston right and i'm not i was never against the second amendment or gun ownership or anything like that but i absolutely could have been sold on banning assault weapons or common sense gun measures or all the things that are thrown around and you see them pulled by 80 and 90 percent of people go along with them because they just don't know the facts about them and over time because i listened to people who actually did grow up in gun culture and people who actually did 
uh, look at the Constitution. And you know, a lot of that was just getting older and, and, and studying more and learning more. But it was a lot of it was understanding something that was really foreign to me as a kid. I, I didn't grow up in that culture at all. My dad was in the military, but that was about it. Uh, you know, we didn't have guns in the house. I didn't really know many people who had guns in their houses. And it took a time, time of talking to a lot of people who had thought about these things and had a different perspective on them, came at them from a different perspective. And then you add in, you know, the constitutional arguments and the statistics about, you know, whether guns actually commit these crimes or if they're actually people and, and all of the additional layers you put on top of that. But I don't think I would have, I think I easily could have settled into a life where I just believe, you know what, of course, guns, yeah, you can have them, but you, no one needs an assault rifle. No one needs those. You don't need those things to hunt. Culturally, I absolutely could have fallen into those arguments. But I didn't because I, I tried to understand both sides of the issue and then make a decision about them. Talking to people who were outside of my little group helped me understand the Second Amendment. So you know who I, I, why I began to search for God? Carl Sagan. Stephen Hawking. Mm. They were so convinced God doesn't exist. And I thought, I've never considered that point of view. I just never, I've never been around anybody like that. I have a relationship with God because uh, through books, I became friends with Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking. And I seriously considered what they had to say. And it made me search deeper and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe they're right. I mean, I've just been told about this. I've been a, ever since you've known me, I have been a defender of gay marriage. Have I not? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in a, in a different way, I think, than the normal debate yeah, has been. Yeah. yeah. My debate is, my, my feeling is, people are people. Let them be. The government has no place there. No place in marriage. No so, place in yeah. marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can believe whatever you want. He has no place in marriage. Mm-hmm. You know how I was raised? I was raised by a father who I didn't, I didn't understand this until close to his death. When he was 16, was raped by a man. And uh, my father was open-minded on almost everything. Not homosexuality. Not homosexuality. And we could never understand it. And we talked about it as a family, and he would never address it. Never. Homosexuality is wrong, and it's this, and it's that. And my dad was not a Bible thumper. And it made no sense, because he was so open-minded on everything. Well, I didn't just pick that up. I, I, I know homosexuals. I work with homosexuals. I, I'm not afraid of homosexuals. I don't. That was irrational. They're not all that scary. They're not all yeah. that scary. <laughs> uh, in fact, they're quite helpful. Um, so uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't just take that. And I could have taken that because my father was very clear on it. But he was because he was open-minded on other things... Thank God I escaped the closed mindedness of that part and became open minded and have a different opinion by a great deal than my father did. Um, And had for a long time had a different point of view than most conservatives, certainly anybody who is religious. It's because I talk to people. And it it doesn't mean um, anything other than. I want to be uncomfortable. The scariest thing in my life came from 
the, the quote from Thomas Jefferson. Question with boldness, even the very existence of God. And I wasn't questioning God. I was questioning my childhood. I was questioning the things that happened in my childhood, the things that were the deepest, darkest secrets of my childhood. That's what that quote did. There's nothing more frightening than really facing what's in you or the void that you think is in you. That's hard. But that changed me fundamentally. And we have to have those conversations and those challenging conversations and meet those people who will push us up against the wall because they're intellectually honest, not because they have a different point of view, but because they're intellectually honest and they're making us ask hard questions about what we believe. That's to me what it means to be an American that is going to move the country forward. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio 